We are in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit has called that, been called the uh, forgotten um, person of the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, Francis Chan talks about how the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God, the forgotten part of who God is. And, and, and so what we're doing is we have taken the summer to, to preach about an eight part series. As a matter of fact, it'll probably be about nine messages, and we're on part six today. So we're going to go back and do a little bit of a review about what we've talked about. In the very first sermon, we just kind of did an overview, a bird's eye view of the Holy Spirit and his essential ministries in our life. Then we went to the book of Galatians and camped out in the book of Galatians because we felt like that's where God was speaking to us about the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the three things we've already talked about. We've already talked about the challenge, the command, and the conflict. Let's go back and review very quickly. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Galatia. He's their pastor. He's rather really their apostle. And he says to them, you started in the spirit. Why are you now trying to live a successful life in the flesh, in your human effort? And that is a challenge that is being put forth right here in this house this morning. It's a challenge that's being put forth to Farrell Hardison. The Lord is looking at me. The Lord is speaking to me. I'm no different than you guys. He says, Farrell, you started out in the spirit. Why do you drift sometimes? Why do you backslide sometimes and start trying to live a successful Christian life in your own strength, in your own knowledge, in your own gifts, in your own abilities? He says, Farrell, you got to come back to a deeper dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah said to us, it is not by your might, it is not by your power, but it is by his spirit, saith the Lord. And so guys, God is challenging us as Paul challenged his church in Galatia. We are being challenged here at the bridge to return to the feet of God, return to the foot of the cross, return to a dependence on God, a dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Bible is very clear about the expectations God has on us. But as you read those expectations, you, you realize, I can't do this. What God's requiring of me, I can't do it. So then how do we do it? We allow the Holy Spirit to immerse us. We allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. We allow the Holy Spirit to baptize us. We allow the Holy Spirit to come in and overflow in our life. And it is out of that overflow, it is out of that power of the Holy Spirit that you are able to do the things God has called you to do. Which brings us to the very next uh, thing we talked about, Galatians 5.16. He says, if you want to walk in the Spirit or if you want to live successfully, in the spirit, then you have to walk in the spirit. If you will walk in the spirit, there's a good result of that, and it is you will not fulfill the lustful desires of your flesh. And so that carries with it the idea of daily walking. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to listen to me. Um, a lot of people want to point back to an experience they had. 
And maybe you had an experience at youth camp or you had an experience uh, one night in a prayer group and, and you really sensed God's presence and you were filled with the Spirit and, and God sanctified you and ministered to your life and, and all of that was going on and you look back on that and you even talk about it now. Boy, I remember that night when that happened or I remember when I was in that revival service and that happened to me or I was in youth camp and that happened to me. I want you to hear me now, listen. That's all good. That's all wonderful. But you ought to be able to point to what God's doing in your life today. You ought to be able to point to and talk about the fresh walk you have in him today. And that's why we have to walk in the spirit. Walking is something we do every day. Walking is something we, uh, uh, is natural in our life. And, and he's saying walk in the spirit. And then that's why we bought the, the Wits t-shirts. I saw somebody in the choir had the Wits t-shirt on today, Walk in the Spirit. And those t-shirts are out there for you, not trying to sell t-shirts. I'm just trying to get you to understand that we need to be reminded. And, and uh, you know, even something as practical as a little post-it note that you would put on the dashboard of your car. And some of you would see it real, real often if you'd put it on the door of your refrigerator, okay? Walk in the Spirit. And you get up in the morning, you say, I'm gonna walk in the Spirit today. God, help me walk in the Spirit today so I will not give in to the war of the flesh. Which brings us to the next one. When you walk in the Spirit, there's a conflict. Because your flesh is in you and that's all that's evil. But if you're a Christian, you've received Christ into your life. Also, the Holy Spirit is in you. There are, there are other dimensions of your walk in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes into you in salvation. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into you, there is a war between the lustful desires of your flesh and the righteous desires of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about how do we overcome the flesh? How do we walk in the spirit? It is consistent, it is daily, it is, it is the due diligence, it is the disciplines, but if you will discipline yourself to be a person of the word, if you will discipline yourself to be a person of prayer, then discipline turns into desire. If you do discipline long enough, it turns into desire. If you do desire long enough, it turns into delight. And so what happens with us is we say, I'm gonna have my time with God. I'm gonna have my private, quiet time with God. And we do it for a while. We know we have to get up a little bit earlier and it's hard to find quiet time. I don't know about you, but it's real hard for me to find really some, some quality quiet time. And when we do, uh, we're blessed by it, but we, we slip back and we stop doing it. Well, don't feel, don't feel guilty about that. Just get right back into it. Because it is that daily time with God that you are enabled to walk in the Spirit. And all through the day, all through your day, at work, at school, wherever you are, all through your day, you're whispering, help me to walk in the Spirit today, Lord. Lord, help me to react when people are unfair, when people are unjust, uh, when people are um, unreasonable. Help me to walk in the Spirit. Amen? Anybody here need that other than me? 
And so you can walk in the Spirit. So there's, gonna, there's a challenge, and then there's a command, and then when you obey the command, there will be a conflict. So let's look at the thing we're talking about today, the contrast. And the contrast is in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. And there's two lists. Paul uses lists in the Bible all the time. He lists the qualifications of a deacon. He lists the qualifications of an elder. He lists the qualifications of leaders in Timothy and Titus. He lists the things to look for to know when Jesus is coming back. Do we believe Jesus is coming back in this church? Amen. That's what that whole choir song was about. I hope you were listening. It's all about Jesus coming back. Paul listed things to look for. So you'll know that his return is coming soon. So Paul loved lists, and here he gives us two lists. He gave us a list last week. That's pretty tough last week, wasn't it? The works of the flesh. Now let me, let me just say this about those works of the flesh. You don't have to go there. Even if you're not walking in the Spirit, you may not go deeply into those sins, but the potential. If, you're, if your flesh, your lustful desires, are not restrained by the power of the Holy Spirit, hear me today, there's no telling where that flesh will take you. I'm not saying it will, I'm just saying the potential is there. What did we say last week? The flesh will take you further than you want to go, leave you longer than you want to stay, and cost you way more than you ever thought you'd pay. The lust of the flesh. You say, Pastor, do you battle with that? No, but Miss Millie does. <laughs> hey, honey. Didn't know you were here. Uh, we all battle with that. Billy Graham battles with that. Um, Chuck Swindoll battles with that. Your favorite TV preacher, your, your best Christian that you know, holiest grandma, battles with the flesh. You will always battle with the flesh until you get to heaven. People say, oh, what about sanctification? Sanctification is a wonderful thing, but you will still battle with the flesh. That old, the, the Bible calls that that nature in you to do evil. The Bible calls that the old man, the old you. Remember we read the other week, take off the old self and put on the new self. So, so really, you need to change clothes all the time. When, you, when that old self wants to get on, just take him off and put on the new self. But he's always gonna be there and he's always gonna be pulling at you. He's always gonna be challenging you. He's always going to be trying to get you to go in the wrong direction. That's why you have to have a good, strong walk with Jesus or you'll get pulled off into a bad place. So we looked at those, um, those fruits of the, uh, or we looked at those uh, works of the flesh. Now what we'll look at today is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 now, I want you to notice up there on the screen, it doesn't say fruits, does it? We say fruits. I'll say fruits today as I'm talking about this list. But really, the Bible doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. And, the, and here's what that implies. That we are to have how many of these operating in our life? All of them. That's what it means. That's why it didn't say fruits. It said fruit. You ought to have this fruit in your life. Let's read what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. 
If you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit dominates in your life. The Spirit, uh, not that you don't have the flesh there pulling at you, but you have, you have nurtured yourself. You've grown in the Lord. So here's what's going to be coming out of your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then it says, against these things there is no law, against these nine things. So let me just lay some groundwork here. When you are saved, when you ask Jesus into your heart, and by the way, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, there is nothing that would thrill us more than to talk to you about that. We're going to open up the altar at the end of the service. We don't have a traditional altar call most of the time in this church. Uh, People criticize us for it and uh, say things about here, but but you know what? If I if I'm gonna have all you guys stand and we're gonna play sad organ music to try to get you to come up here, first of all that puts you on the spot. It, it puts you having to step out in front of everybody, and there's nowhere in the Bible that says that's necessary. So what we do here is we just dismiss the service and welcome anyone who wants prayer to come. And then that way people don't know why anybody's coming. They just come and people come to our altars and get saved and accept Jesus all the time. And uh, so, so you probably grew up like me, you know, where we get the person up there and they play just as I am and we sing 47 verses of just as I am. And then we have some people who just come to the altar and go, maybe if I come, he'll let us go to Bojangles, you know. So they just come, you know. But we don't do it here like that. At the end of this service, I'll pray with you. We'll dismiss you. And uh, those who would like to have prayer, we'll have our prayer team and other people up here uh, to minister to you and to pray for you. But when you come, and, and you, don't have to get, you don't have to accept Christ in an altar of a church. I know people that have gotten saved in cars going down the road. I've got, I know people that have accepted Christ laying in their bed at night. Um, kneeling next to their bed. I, I, I know people who have gotten saved. Uh, you remember when uh, Lee Grady was here speaking to us? Uh, he committed his uh, life to Jesus fully in the parking lot of a church on a volleyball court, I think he said. He will meet you anywhere you want to meet him. Amen. He'll meet you anywhere you want to meet him. But, but we'll be here today and we'll be ready to pray for you. Here's my point. When you accept Christ, when you stop running, when you stop making excuses, when you stop saying, well, the reason I don't you know, go to church is there's a bunch of hypocrites out there. Seriously, we did not know that. Thank you for that information. <laughs> We're all hypocrites from time to time. Sometimes I'm a hypocrite. Thank you all for not saying amen. I know you all wanted to say that. If a hypocrite is somebody who's not perfect, then sometimes I claim stuff and don't follow through and do it. Amen, amen? Hey, don't look at me. Don't look at this church. This church is made up of people just like you who mess up and stumble and fall and and miss the mark every day of our lives. We're not trying to point you to us. We're trying to point you to Jesus. You need Jesus Christ. Even Pilate, who didn't even know God, didn't even recognize God, said, I find what? No fault in this man. There's no fault in Jesus. Fault in Pharaoh Hardison? Not many, but I got them. I keep forgetting Millie's here. Um, yes, many, many, many faults in my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you down. Uh, you're gonna count on me and I don't, I don't come through for you. But he will never let you down. 
He will never let you down. Get your eyes off of people that you say don't walk it. And get off of that excuse. Because let me tell you something. When you do get saved, you won't walk it perfect either. You'll be just like the rest of us. We're going to stumble along the way. We're going to fall along the way. But you know what we are here at the bridge? We're a bunch of broken people just trying to help each other walk right. Amen. Amen. And that's the kind of church we are. It's the kind of church I hope we always will be. But when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, there is a seed of the Spirit planted in you. It's planted deep down in you. And, and if you cultivate that seed, anybody here got a garden? Wave at me. Wave at me if you got a garden. I see some hands out there. I ain't had nothing out of your garden. I just wanted to mention. <laughs> I would have a garden, but in my neighborhood, they won't let you have one. So, so um, I'm here to receive. Um, so if you cultivate that seed of the spirit that's put in you when you're saved, it will grow. It'll germinate. And it will grow and a tree of spiritual life will rise up in you and fruit will come out of that seed of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. The amount, of spirit, uh, the amount of fruit, rather, that you bear is dependent on how much you nurture the spiritual part of your life. It's dependent on how much you cultivate that seed, and if you will, it will grow into maturity. If, you, if you're like some people I know who, who accept Christ, and they, they walk through the door, and they accept Christ as their personal Savior, and they never go any further... There's some people I know who've been, been to Christians for years and years and years, and they're still about that deep spiritually because they never went any further. So I'm challenging you to go deeper, go further. And if you will cultivate it, it will grow and that seed will be mature. So what we're going to do in this message is we're going to get to know all these uh, virtues of the Holy Spirit, uh, this fruit of the Spirit. And depending on how many of these virtues are manifested in your life and how uh, the, the, the level of the activity and intensity of these things in your life uh, will reveal how close you are to God. So let's get ready and let's get started. You ready? All right, we got nine of them. I'm going to spend two minutes on each one. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, we're going to go through them quickly because I'm hungry. And that's a, you, you ought to be happy about that. Didn't get my honey bun this morning. All right, number one, love. Think love's a good one? How many of y'all think we need some love in the house? Need some love. Love is the key to everything. And the word here is agape. That's the Greek word. Now, I know a lot of Greek words I say. I probably mispronounce them. But how many of y'all heard this one, agape? You've heard this Greek word. Agape, it's the highest form of love. It is supernatural love. It surpasses understanding. It surpasses human understanding. It surpasses human ability. Listen to me. Apart from God, you can't love at this level. Apart from God, you can't love at the agape level. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me up here? Peter said, no, I phileo you. I love you down here. I love you like a friend, love. 
So Peter didn't, Peter couldn't love him with the agape love. He couldn't love at that level. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me up here? Peter goes, I love you here. You know what Jesus did the third time? Came down and used the same word Peter used. Because let me tell you something about Jesus. He'll take what you can give him. He'll take you where you're at. Aren't you glad that when you come to Jesus, he doesn't go, you know, man, you ain't there yet. When you get there, call me back. He will take you where you're at. Because you know something else about Jesus? He doesn't love you for what you are. He loves you for what you can be. He doesn't see you for what you are. He sees your potential. He sees what's going to happen to you if you let him get his hands in your life. You know, you know, the Bible calls him in the book of Jeremiah the potter. And he will put you on the wheel uh, and he will, he will mold you if you will let him into a vessel of honor. And they tell me that when that potter is molding that piece of pottery, he'll find little pieces of trash in there. And he knows that if he leaves that trash in there and then he puts that piece of pottery in the kiln, that when the heat hits it, it'll crack where that trash is. So he spins it and spins it and works it and works it until he has every piece of trash out. That way he knows when the heat is on, it will stand. Ah, uh, that's what God wants to do for you. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to enable you. He wants to get his hands in your life. You can't love at this level. You hear what I'm saying? I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna offend some people. You can't even love your children the way God wants you to love them until you submit your life to Jesus. Because when you submit your life to Jesus, he gives you a supernatural love that surpasses any kind of love a human can come up with. You can't love your wife. That's why we have so many marital problems. You can't love your wife the way God wants you to until you're full of God because he enables you with this agape. And I wanna tell you something I noticed. Love is the first one in this list of nine. Love. You know what the last one is? Does anybody remember the last one? Self-control. Temperance. And then I thought about how, you know what? I think that's on purpose that love is the first one and temperance, self-control is the last one. It's like the bookends that keep all the other fruits in their right place. So if you can get some love down pat in your life and you can get some self-control down pat in your life, the other seven fruits or virtues of the spirit will kind of line up let's look at ephesians 3 16 through 19 who loves the bible in this house any bible lovers out there amen amen ephesians 3 16 through 19 paul is an apostle he is a pastor over pastors okay Paul's an, Paul's an apostle, a pastor over pastors. Paul went around and started churches where there was no church. That's the gift of apostle. Um, Y'all have heard me say it before. I'll say it again. A lot of people got that title, but that's not the gift they operate in. And so Paul was an apostle to this church. He's writing them a letter, and he's, he's writing in the letter a prayer for them. Now, the reason the book of Galatians is called Galatians is because Paul was writing a letter to the people in Galatia. This book is called Ephesians because Paul was writing a letter to the people in Ephesus, exactly. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, what a way to start a prayer for your church. I love this, man. It brings conviction to my heart. I need to be praying for this church like this more. He says, I pray that from his, God's glorious, what kind of resources? 
unlimited. He will what? Empower you with inner through his. Man, what a statement. What a statement. Now, y'all want to just dismiss and go home. That, that's good enough right there, isn't it? But I got some more stuff. Go to the next side. Then, in other words, when you let God, when you let God strengthen your inner man through the Spirit, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you what? Trust in him. Now look at the growth here. Look at the growth. You're what? Remember we're talking about the seed? That when you accept Christ by faith, that seed is in there? Look what happens. That the roots will what? Grow down into God's love. There's that word love. That's what we're talking about. And look what love does. Love will Keep you strong. That's awesome, man. That is good stuff right there. Look at verse 18. And may you have the power to understand. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 18, he's telling you, he's going to tell you to understand the love of God. You need to try to understand. Look what it says. And you may have the power to understand all, as all God's people should, how wide, how Long. These are the four dimensions of God's love. How wide, how long, how, how his love is. Now he tells you right there in verse 18, you need to try to understand the love of God. Well, look at verse 19. Look at the very next verse. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Time out, Mr. Paul. You just told me verse 8 to understand it. Now you're telling me in verse 19, it is too great to understand. What does that mean? It means that you're not going to fully understand until that which is perfect is come. You ever read over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says right now we see, even Christians, he was talking to Christians there, he said we see through a glass what? Darkly, it's smutty, it's um, blurry. So we don't see stuff as clear as we're going to see it. Does that excite you? Because i got to tell you something. I'm pretty happy about the blurry stuff I see. Amen? So when I see it clearly, do some dancing. All right? So may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for you to understand. So, so he's saying there that even though you can't understand it, you ought to try. Do you understand that it is the journey that makes us strong? It is the due diligence that makes us strong. When you're praying for something that you need in your life, it isn't the getting of that thing that is the most important thing. The journey to getting it is what makes you strong. Amen, amen? So he says, then, then, when you, when you learn the love of God, when you try to understand and experience the love of God, then you will be made what? With all the of life and that comes from, that's good stuff right there. He's talking about love. He's talking about the fruit of love. It, he's, what he's telling us there is that it's supernatural. It's supernatural. You cannot love at the level I'm talking about this morning by yourself. You have to surrender to God. Some of you out there who are struggling in your marriage, here's why. You're trying to love your spouse in your own power. You're trying to love your spouse in your own strength. Can I tell you something about your human love? It is limited. 
It can only go so far. But we just read up here that his resources are what? Unlimited. Okay? All right. Now, if I wanted to really talk about love, what would be a good chapter in the Bible for me to go to? 1 Corinthians chapter what? 13. So let's go there. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I want you to read everything that's underlined. I want you to say it out loud. We're going to confess some scripture up in the house of God today. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. Love is, love is, it does not, it, it is, it is, it is, it is, it. Everybody say, help me, Jesus. I, I got to tell y'all something. I can't love like that. I can't love like that. But I, I can if I'll depend on him to help me. Especially that last one, keep no record of wrongs. We really need to work on that one. It's like the guy went to uh, counseling with his wife and the counselor said, what, what, do you, what do you think the deal is? He said, well, you know, we're doing good. And then she gets historical. He said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, I mean historical. She reaches back and brings stuff up. I like the way y'all kind of laugh nervous there because you know that's, that's real right there, ain't it? Remember that time when we were 18? Honey, we're 49 now. Yeah, but I remember you hurt me so bad. It keeps no record of wrongs, this kind of love. Read the rest of it. Love, but, in other words, when people you don't particularly like have something bad to happen to them, it doesn't make you happy. Everybody say, help me, Jesus. Amen? Because sometimes when somebody you don't like has something bad happen to them, you get just a little happy. But this love doesn't allow you to do that. Wow. It rejoices with the truth. It always... <clears throat> love protects... Love doesn't expose. Love protects. When you hear gossip about somebody, that's true. It's gossip, but it's true. You still don't tell it. You still don't tell it. You pray about it. And you, what? Protect. I don't, I'm not talking about helping somebody hide sin. I mean, there are times when we need to go and be accountable. There are times, you know, when, you know, there are those times when things have to be brought out and talked about. But love protects. Always, 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 it never booyah. Number two, joy. This is, uh, this is the worldly uh, definition, the secular definition. Uh, the emotion of great delight or happiness. Anybody up for some of that? 
caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Mm -hmm. Did you know joy, I'm not talking about happiness now. You know joy and happiness are different. Joy comes from God. Joy comes from God. And uh, look at Hebrews uh, 12 and 2. Hebrews 12 and 2 says that joy strengthens us. Uh, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. That means one who brings maturity. The author and perfecter, the one who brings maturity to my faith, talking about Jesus, who for the what? Set before him, he was able to, this joy enabled him to endure the cross, scorn the shame of the cross, and sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, now, if the Lord will help me, and I can't spend much time here, but this is, guys, I gotta tell you something, this is rich right here if you get this. This, this virtue joy, this fruit joy, comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you in a time when you are facing pain, you are facing crisis, you are facing trouble. Here's what joy does, listen. It helps you to see beyond that pain. You know it's coming, you know it's coming, it's unavoidable, you know you're gonna go through it, but the joy of the Lord enables you to see beyond that and see what God is accomplishing good in this bad thing so that you can with joy endure that bad thing to get that good result on the other side. Are y'all with me out there? Now, if you're not with me, I think I'm about to clear it up for you. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, if there is any other way for Pharaoh to be saved, if there's any other way for Eddie to be saved, let this cup. So what was he asking? If there's any other way for men to come to you and be made right with you, Father, I would really rather not go through this terrible thing I'm about to go through. See, listen to me. Jesus knew what was about to happen to him. The Bible says in the book of Psalms prophesying about Jesus that from his youth up, he understood why he was in this earth. What did he say at age 12 when they couldn't find him and then they went back and found him in the temple? He said, I must be about my... He knew why he was here. One writer said that every time he picked up a nail in the carpenter shop of Joseph, it reminded him of the nails that would be driven through his hands. Every time as a little boy, Jesus playing outside with the other little boys and girls, when he would prick his finger on a briar, he would know one day I'll wear a crown of thorns. He knew. Jesus knew why he was here. So how did he face the cross? How did he face the humiliation? How did he face the crown of thorns? How did he face the whip upon his back? How did he face it? because of the joy that was on the other side of it. The joy, that the thing that brought joy to the heart of Jesus was that if I'll go through all this, Pharaoh will be able to come and be saved. If I go through all this, every human being will have an opportunity to come back to God, my Father, if I go through this. 
If I go through this, I'm going back to heaven and I'll be seated at the right hand of my father again. You see, in order to get through it, he saw what was beyond it. And that's the joy we're talking about here today, this supernatural joy. Here's what joy means. It means blessed. Joy means possessing the favor of God. I love me some favor of God. It is the mark of someone who's enjoying the fullness of God in their life. It is someone, uh, uh, it indicates uh, uh, in a person uh, a state uh, of of a person that, that they've accepted Christ, that they're no longer running from God, but they've accepted Christ. Joy is what a person experiences when they become a partaker of God, when they stop running from God, when they, when they partake of God's nature through faith in Jesus. Now, joy doesn't mean happy. I love happy. Y'all like happy? I mean, uh, first time we ever went to... Um, uh, Mickey Mouse Land, Orlando. I was happy. I was happy. When we got there and rented a car and started driving around, I was very unhappy because I could not find Jack. I couldn't find anything. They didn't have those, uh, as back in the day when they didn't have the little things you can put on your, in your car and the computer tells you, you know, turn here, stupid person. And... Um, <laughs> And honestly, man, I got so turned around. So, so as long as I knew I was going to Orlando with my family to have a good time, I was happy. But when I got to driving around, I was unhappy. Now, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that happiness is based on what happens. Joy isn't. Joy isn't based on what happens. As a matter of fact, the root word is hap. And from the root word hap comes the word happy and comes the word happens. And happiness is based on favorable circumstances. Joy is not. It is like the thermostat on the wall in your house. There are two things on that thermostat. There's a thermometer that registers the temperature in the room, right? You can go up there to the thermometer and it will say it is 79 degrees in here and you go, that's way too hot. So it's registering the conditions of the room. It tells you what the conditions are. That's how happiness is. If you want to know whether a person's going through uh, bad conditions or good conditions, you can check their happiness level because happiness is based on what? happens but joy is like the thermostat it sets the temperature in the room in other words joy comes from the lord happiness is based on our circumstances joy comes from the lord if you walk in the holy spirit and the fruit of joy is in you it doesn't matter what your circumstances are you will never lose your joy you'll never lose your joy okay uh, the Greek word there is makarios, again, meaning blessed. Uh, this word is awesome. It means uh, joy is equivalent to having the kingdom of God in your heart. It, it means a person whose satisfaction and peace comes from God and not from what's happening in their life. Number three, peace. And I'm going to go through the rest of these very quickly. Three is peace. Primary meaning here is peace with God. Peace with God, not like, you know, peace, man. I'm talking about peace with God. Before Christ, we are sinners. And the people said, doing the works of the flesh. We are rebels against God before we are saved. 
listen to me. The peace I'm talking about here today is a tranquility of mind that is based upon a right, settled relationship with God. If you don't have a right, settled relationship with God here today, you can pretend peace all you want to, but you will never have peace until you have a right relationship with God. That's why you're so ornery. That's why you're so hard to get along with. Because you're not at peace in yourself. When our rebellion ends, and we humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness, and we're forgiven, then we're at peace. I talk about peace. I'm not talking about peace that comes through vacations or entertainment or drugs or alcohol or some kind of sexual relationship or even wealth. When I talk about peace here, I'm talking about peace that comes because you're saved. You've been justified. You're no longer separated from God, but you are, you've come to God. Let's look at this scripture in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been saved, that's what that word justified means. It means made right or declared innocent or guiltless. Isn't that beautiful right there? You say, well, I've done some pretty bad stuff. I don't care. If you come to Jesus and humble yourself before him, he will proclaim you guiltless. He will proclaim you innocent. You say, yeah, but you know, the stuff I did got me in trouble with the law and the stuff I did, man, I hurt some people. Yeah, they might not let you forget it, but to God, it'll be like you never did it. He'll throw it away. And if you were to come back and try to remind him and say, God, you remember I did that thing? He'd go, no, that's gone. I'll wash that out of your life. I'll never bring that up before you again. That's what justified means. That's pretty cool right there, isn't it? Therefore, since I've been justified, made right, declared innocent or guiltless, and how was I made right and declared innocent or guiltless? Through my what? Faith. In what? In what Christ accomplished for me on the cross. Since I've gotten saved, since I've come to the Lord and given the Lord my life, I have what? Peace with who? God. And there are many ways to God, right? Wrong. Thank y'all for not falling into that trap. We have peace with God one way. But Oprah said, I don't care what Oprah said. We have peace with God one way through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not a multiple choice. You say, well, that's very narrow-minded. Well, that's why the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to heaven, I guess. You say, well, I think it's more politically direct, correct to say we all serve the same God no matter what our religion is, and we can all get to God through religion. Now, if you believe that, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm telling you when I read from the infallible and errant word of the living God, he says there is only one way I can have peace with the God who made me, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, you're going to offend somebody. I know. So we need to maintain peace in three important relationships. You need to have peace with God, and you need to have peace with your fellow man, and we need to have peace with ourselves. The way you have peace with God is by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ by committing your life to Jesus Christ and then walking in the spirit as we mentioned earlier in the sermon. We maintain peace with our fellow man by not allowing strife to be a part of our relationships with other people. 
And we maintain peace with ourselves by being contented with who we are by refusing to live in guilt and condemnation. Now, I gotta tell you all something. Those three things right there, I could preach 30 minutes on that, but I can't. Let's go to number four, long-suffering. You say, I got this one. If it means suffering for a real long time, I got this one. Long-suffering, here's what it means. It means long and patient endurance of injury. Emotional injury, having your feelings hurt, being rejected. It is the gift to be able to endure that and not become bitter. Long-suffering is a work of the Holy Spirit in you to have patience and to endure even though you've been mistreated, even though you've been treated in, with injustice, even though you're going through awesome Waves of trouble and crisis, even though somebody is provoking you, poking you all the time, you are able to endure that. Like when somebody just keeps uh, making you angry. You, you have to trust God to enable you through his spirit to just, to just not let it get you. Not let it control you. Everybody say, help me, Jesus. Amen. I need some help with that one. Y'all need some help with that one? I don't have this one nailed down. I don't have any of them nailed down, actually. Colossians 1.13, look what it says. Make allowance for each other's faults. Everybody say, help me. <laughs> Jesus. Allow people to fail and be patient with them. That's what that first little phrase means. Because see... If you don't give me space to be imperfect, then when you're imperfect, you will reap what you sowed. You with me? You've got to give people in your life space to fail and still love them and let God work with them instead of going, I'm done with him. I'm done. Long-suffering. Some people I've been long-suffering with, some I haven't. Some people have been long-suffering with me, some people haven't. Everybody, let's sing, He's Still Working on Me. Y'all know that song? Make allowance for each other's faults. Everybody say, Lord, help me make allowance for the faults of people I love. All people. Now look what he says. He says, and forgive anyone. Forgive who? Forgive. Forgive who? Now when the Lord says anyone there, in the Greek, what that means is anyone. And forgive anyone who. Because when you don't, who are you hurting? You're sitting over there bitter, your unforgiveness is eating your insides out. You're probably going to die 10 years younger and you're thinking, I'm really getting him. <laughs> and he's over there, doesn't even know you're upset. Remember, I mean, God will drop this hammer on you. You know, when you think you got a real good excuse not to forgive somebody, God just drops this hammer on you right here. Remember, I forgave you. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you what? What's that word right after you? What is it again? Now the Greek word for must is must. 
forgive others. Everybody say, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Amen, guys. How many of y'all still working on this stuff? I don't have it nailed down in me. I'm better than y'all, but I still don't have it all nailed down. <laughs> what a scripture. Look at the next one, number five, gentleness. This is the absence of harshness. The absence of harshness. The absence of severity. You know what? When the Apostle Paul wanted to give us a picture of this one, he talked about a nursing mom. Have you ever seen anything more gentle than that? A nursing mom, nursing her little baby. Look what he says. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he says we were, he's talking about himself and the other leaders in that church. He said, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. So you know what? With that illustration right there, there's no confusion about what gentleness is. And that's how we're supposed to treat people. That's how we're supposed to treat people. Look at the sixth one. Goodness. means moral excellence. Virtue. God is the ultimate example of goodness. That's holy water right there to be fine. God is, the God is the ultimate example of goodness. Goodness is, listen to this definition. Goodness is holiness in practice. Holiness put to practice. Goodness enables us, Luke 6, 27 says, the, the fruit of goodness will enable you to do good to those who hate you, Luke 6, 27. And then it says in Galatians 6, 10, that if the fruit of goodness is flourishing in your life, you'll be able to even do good to those you go to church with. <laughs> How many of you know sometimes it's easier out there than... You know why? Because we're family. We're family. You know, family, you see somebody down the road you don't really know, you're, you're real nice to them. Hi, hi. Yeah, I'd like to buy this soda. Oh, thank you. Go home to somebody who died for you and go, what's up with all this? What's, what's going on up in here? Amen? Mm. Talk to the little waitress, you know, be real nice. Let the goodness flow to those out there in the world. God says, I want you to show it in the household of faith. Amen. It is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Did you hear that? People, look, let me tell you something. And, and look, I got pastors who, who, who debate with me about this. I got, I got pastors who don't agree with me about this. Guys I love. They think the first thing you do is preach Jesus to lost people. You say, well, isn't that the first thing? Well, yeah, but I think the best way to preach him is show him. Because I believe goodness, this goodness, is the thing that leads people to repent. If, I, if I'm a jerk, if I'm a judgmental jerk, then who wants to follow my Jesus? I mean, if I'm coming up to people going, hey, you going to heaven or hell when you die? I'll tell you what, brother, you better get it right. You better get it right, because uh, from what I'm seeing, man, you're going down. <laughs> or if I come up to him and say, uh, 
hey man, I heard, I heard y'all been sick and my wife and I want to take a meal over one night and just bless you guys. Okay, man, that's great. That'd be great. That'd be very helpful. Or I want to take your kids for a night and I want, to, I want to just babysit your kids and let you and your wife just go off and have a date. Show some love. Show some love first and then when you want to talk about Jesus, they're ready to hear you. You say, Pastor, you preach that all the time. And if you'll be here next Sunday, I'll probably mention it next Sunday. Because goodness, listen to this. The Bible demands that we be a light to a dark world. You know what I believe the light is? The goodness. Goodness is the light that makes us shine in the world. Goodness is the light that makes us shine. I'm convinced that if a hungry man is standing in front of me, that if I will feed him, he'll listen to me talk about Jesus. But if I go, dude, that's temporary. Oh, that's temporary. You don't have to worry about that. What you need is Jesus. He's gonna go, I need a cheeseburger. (laughs) And you feed him and love him, you're gonna have a lot better chance of leading him to the Lord. Number seven is faith, and this doesn't mean faith as in the, you guys know there are fruits of the Spirit and then there are gifts of the Spirit. You say, well, faith is also a gift of the Spirit. Um, the, when, it's, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and we will talk about those before we uh, leave this sermon series, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the word faith there uh, in Corinthians, I believe is where, they're, where that's listed, uh, is talking about faith, like big faith to believe for miracles. Actually, this word is not faith, actually. That's why you have to study your Bible and study other um, uh, books because it helps you find out the deeper things. See, if you read that just in the King James Version, you would say, well, the fruit of the Spirit is for me to have faith, like really trust God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about reliability. It's talking about faithfulness. You see the difference? Uh, um, It's the act of being faithful. Faithfulness is doing what you say you're gonna do. Faith is keeping your commitments. I'm preaching now because I know some Christians who will promise you the world and not show up. Mm -hmm. This means being known as a person people can trust because you're reliable. Faithfulness is defined as maintaining allegiance. I thought about the military when I was studying this. I thought about the strong sense of duty and honor and responsibility and loyalty that is taught to our military. And and this is what faithfulness is. It means to be conscientious. It means to be aware of what's expected of you and to come through in those areas. To do it consistently and constantly means reliability. So are you faithful? Can you be counted on? Are you faithful to your family? Do you keep your promises to your friends here at church? You show up when you're supposed to? Because I gotta tell you something, man. When you make a commitment here to serve and then you just don't show up and don't call anybody and don't make any kind of arrangements, it makes it hard on everybody else. Number eight, meekness. Y'all glad I moved on? Eight is meekness. That means humble or patient. Meekness is not being weak. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It means a servant-like spirit of submission to God and submission to the people who are in your care. 
Meekness is when our spirit is free from rebellion. Meekness happens when we experience freedom from pride, arrogance. Meekness is when we have an accurate um, estimation of our own self-worth. Psalms 37.11 says, The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the meek, the humble. Number nine is the last one, temperance. It's that other bookend, remember? What's on this end? What, What was it? Love. And then on this end is temperance. And if you get those two right, it looks like in Scripture that if we can get love down and we can get temperance down, then all those other fruits just kind of line up in there. Isn't that beautiful? Temperance means self-control. Help me, Jesus. Temperance means the ability to keep self in check. You're going to get tested on that in the parking lot in just a few minutes. (laughs) Temperance is self-restraint in action or statement. It's self-restraint, not just in what you do, but self-restraint in what you say. It's when the Holy Spirit has control of your entire being, our body, And boy, after looking at some of those sins we looked at last week, we need some Holy Spirit uh, control of our body, don't we? Our our soul, what is your soul? It it is your mind, it is where your will is, where you decide things. It is is, uh, where your emotions are, it's your intellect. You think that needs to be yielded to the Spirit of God? Yes. And then your spirit, your spirit, uh, where God resides in you. It needs to all be controlled by the Holy Spirit. A person who has self-control is mild and calm. I'm not talking about personality here. I'm talking about reaction. You may have a very outgoing personality, um, but still be mild when you're being tested in a bad situation. You're being tested and you react mildly. You You react calmly. Temperance avoids extreme behavior. It exercises self-restraint, again, in both word and deed. So, guys, that's it. You got two extremes inside you. I'm here to make you feel good this morning, (laughs) afternoon. You got two extremes in you. You got, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, all that's righteous, and you have your human nature in you, all that's evil, and they are fighting And whichever one you feed is going to grow stronger and the other will grow weaker. One of the things that I found interesting is that if you were to study the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find Jesus operating in all of these. There are examples in Scripture where he demonstrated all nine of these virtues or fruits and they were produced in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now remember this, in Luke chapter four, Jesus went into the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry. He went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. How many of y'all know what happened while he was there? Satan came to him and tempted him. But he, he was victorious over the temptation because he relied on what is written. Every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. So if Jesus took on the word of God as a weapon against the enemy, we better get in the Bible. 
But the Bible says that when Jesus left the wilderness to begin his earthly ministry, listen to this, that he walked out in the power of the Holy Ghost. He walked out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ghost, Spirit, same thing. So, so the reason I say that to you is that these fruits that we see in Jesus' life were produced through him by the Holy Spirit, the same way it works for you. These nine things I've talked about today, please understand me, you're not capable of them. You're not capable of these things. I'm not capable. They are fruits of Pharaoh Hardison? No, they are fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of God. They're God's fruits in us. Now, the Bible then says in verse 23, last slide, against these things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Now, here's what that means. That means the law was given in the Old Testament to restrain evil. But now, the Holy Spirit who wrote the Old Testament now is in us. That's what we sung today. Did y'all, did y'all, he tore the veil? That's what that means. Now we get to go into the Holy of Holies. He comes into us. He is in us. The Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. See, back in Old Testament days, the law was an outward pressure to make them live right. We don't have that anymore. Now the one who wrote the Holy Spirit or or who wrote the Bible is in us. We have an inward motivation now. Y'all with me? So we don't need the law to restrain us anymore. Because we have the author of the law living in us. Praise God for that. The spirit-controlled life produces fruit. Father, thank you for your word today. It is so crystal clear. (laughs) It is so clear, yet we didn't even touch the depths of it today. We just scratched the surface. As we depart and go out into this world, help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to walk in the Spirit as we have our lunch. Help us walk in the Spirit as we rest today. Help us walk in the Spirit as we rise and go to work in the morning. Help us walk in the Spirit as we uh, uh, go to youth camp and intermingle with the people that we will meet every day uh, of our lives. Help us walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word today. Let it be in us. Now, Lord, as I told the church, this altar is open. We're going to dismiss this service, but we're going to have prayer team members up here. We're going to have staff members up here. We're going to have anybody who is ready to pray for other people and just minister to other people. You're welcome to come and help us pray. So, Father, we're going to release the congregation, but this service isn't finished because I believe there's some things you want to do in the altar today. I believe you want to save some people. I believe you want to heal some people. I believe you want to mend some marriages. I I believe you want to do work in people's lives today. So we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you for showing up at the bridge today. Without you, Lord, we're nothing. We're nothing without you. To your name be all glory and praise and honor forever and ever. And everybody said, hey, first time guests, don't forget to go by the tent on your way out. Pick up your free gift. So glad you guys came to church today. The altar is open. Please come. Let's spend some time talking to God.